One of the great reforming archbishops of the last century was a guy called William Temple. And he was the Archbishop of Canterbury during the 1940s. He took uh, the Church of England through the Second World War, declared and called for national days of prayer at different points during the Second World War. And one of his favorite illustrations was this. He said, it's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it, I can't. And it's no use telling me or showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it, I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like that. And if the spirit of Jesus could come into me, then I could live a life like this. It's one of the unique factors, features of the Christian faith, is that we are not told simply to do our best, to live good religious lives and be the best we can. It's not a question of coming to church as often as we can, or of reading the Bible as often as we can, or of praying prayers as often as we can, or the longer the prayer that we pray being an indication of how spiritual we are, or even the length of the sermons that we preach or listen to being an indicator of how spiritual we are. The Christian faith, unlike every other world faith, is not a question of us simply doing our best. We're not called to follow teaching or follow commands or follow guidelines and simply see how it works out. That is just bad religion or even worse, impossible moralism. It leads to stress and effort and guilt and failure. But the Christian faith is a faith unlike any other faith system belief system, religion in the world, because it actually promises that the power and presence and person of its founder is available to come and live in every single follower and believer of Jesus Christ. It's a bit like if you are playing golf and the spirit of Rory McIlroy was to come and fill your body. Or you're about to bake a cake and the spirit of Mary Berry comes and lives inside you. You're about to go onto the football pitch and the spirit of Lionel Messi comes and lives inside you. Rangers could have done with 10 of them yesterday as they were playing Celtic. Whatever it is, it's the spirit of whatever expert is available to come and, if, if you like, live inside you. The Christian faith promises that the very person of Jesus... The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, that's why those terms are interchangeable in the New Testament. God himself, the third person of the Trinity, is available for you and for me and will come and live in us to enable us to live the lives that God wants us to live. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the person and work of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit who is there right at the beginning of creation with the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God who's given to kings and prophets and priests in the Old Testament, but for a limited time and for a particular purpose. The Spirit of God that comes upon Jesus at his baptism and then the Spirit of Jesus that is given to his disciples as Jesus himself ascends back into heaven. And the reality is that as we look at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, we're looking, obviously, about God. Now, it may be that you've been a Christian for a long time. It may be that you've heard, it may be that you've given talks on the Holy Spirit. If I'm honest, as I was thinking about this sermon series and the next two months of sermons and talks about the Holy Spirit, I've grown up since I was 17 in a charismatic background. I've, I've been in churches where this stuff is just talked about and prayed about and sung about. I've prayed for people and they've fallen forwards. I've prayed for people and they've fallen backwards. I've prayed for people and they have resolutely refused to fall <laughs> in a whole different set of contexts. I've been with people who are more reformed in their theology of the Holy Spirit. I've been around people who are more charismatic And I've read books and I've been to conferences. And if I'm honest, I thought, really, is there more to learn about the work of the Holy Spirit? And then it hit me this week, this is God we're talking about. There is always more to learn. There is always more to experience. And God will always be bigger than our understanding. So as we come over the next two months to think and listen and experience more of the Holy Spirit, be open to God teaching and showing you new and different things. One of the reasons that we're doing this series is because our present Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, has called for a wave of prayer uh, over the the United Kingdom over the next 50 or 60 days or so. He, he, He did it last year in England, and now it's been widened to Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland, recognizing that at the moment... As a nation or nations, we, we're sitting in a place that's quite precarious. There's the whole consequences of Brexit, whether you are for or against it. There's the whole consequences and wondering about an independence referendum again in Scotland. There's the general election. There's the sense of dis-ease and disunity and division amongst the United Kingdom. And therefore, Justin Welby has called the church in the United Kingdom to pray and to pray for a fresh move of his spirit because although politics may be the answer to some of the questions, the only thing that will really change our nation is a fresh move of the Holy Spirit, a fresh move of God through the church and through the nations across the United Kingdom. It's appropriate too that we're, we're praying and thinking about the Holy Spirit as we prepare to send Rich and, and the 40 or 50 folk who are going to go with him to the community of mission as we plant this new congregation somewhere else in, uh, in Edinburgh. It's appropriate as we think of James Green moving on and we pray for him that the Spirit would fill him afresh and would equip him for his ministry in Liverpool. And it's particularly appropriate as we're joining with other churches um, on June the 4th on Pentecost Sunday and there'll be beacon events all across the United Kingdom. We're going to join with Central for our evening service and other churches in Edinburgh praying that God would work afresh amongst us and through us across this city that there would be a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. So that's the agenda and why we're looking at the work of the Holy Spirit over these next few weeks.
So if you've got a Bible, uh, turn back to John chapter 14, uh, that passage that was read for us a few moments ago, if you've got it up on your smartphone or your tablet, and turn back to John chapter 14, where Jesus begins to teach and explain about the Holy Spirit. Now remember the context of John 15. John 14 and John 16 and John 17. Jesus is giving his followers their final instructions. These are some of the last words that Jesus will speak to his followers and friends before he's arrested, tried, and then crucified. They're up in the upper room. They've just celebrated the Passover. It's been a strange week, that week that we thought of just two or three weeks ago, as we saw the events of the first Palm Sunday, and then Jesus wreaking havoc in the temple day after day. Jesus celebrating the Passover in that rented upper room and saying strange things to his followers, taking the bread of the Passover meal and saying, this bread... This is my body that's broken for you. Taking the third cup of the Passover feast, the cup of blessing, and saying, this isn't just a cup of wine, this is my blood shed for you. And then Jesus had turned to his followers and said, one of you is going to betray me. And then Judas Iscariot had slipped out of the room looking slightly guilty. That's the context in which Jesus speaks the words that we had read to us a few moments ago. His followers, his friends are afraid, they're anxious, and they're confused. Jesus starts to speak to them about going away from them, leaving them, and the fact that it's better for them that he goes and leaves them. And they start to have questions in their mind. What is Jesus talking about? What's he talking about going away? Why is he leaving them? What's what's going on? Why is Jesus speaking in these terms? And in the verses that were read for us, there are four or five things that I just want to pick out in introduction. The first, just before the passage that was read from verses 12 to 14, is that Jesus says that when the Spirit comes, that his followers will do greater things than he has been doing. The Spirit gives power, Jesus says, to his followers. So as Jesus ascends into heaven, and on the day of Pentecost, as the Holy Spirit is given in a different, in a new way to every single believer, and power comes upon them, Jesus says, you will do greater things than these. Now, what does that mean? What does the greater thing mean? Jesus had had raised people from the dead. Jesus had, had healed people physically. Jesus had driven out evil spirits. So does that mean that we're going to do greater things? Well, we'll do some of those things because that's the same spirit that works in us that worked through Jesus. But the greater thing, surely, is that 2,000 years later, you and I are in this building at 11.54 on a Sunday morning. If you want to know the greater things that Jesus is referring to, look at the person on your left. Go on, take a quick glance. Go on, sneaky look. Then look at the person on your right. That is the greater thing. We are the greater thing. The church of Jesus Christ that over the last 2,000 years has enabled millions of people to come to know Jesus. We are the greater thing that Jesus is talking about. He says you will do greater things because his work wasn't just restricted to one place and one time and one nation. But now it's for every nation right over the earth and has lasted so far for over 2,000 years. 
Those are the greater things that Jesus is talking about. So the Spirit brings power to Jesus' followers. The second thing, verses 15 to 21, is the Spirit enables Jesus' followers to be in an intimate relationship with him. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will send another advocate, or the word is translated sometimes counselor, or comforter, or encourager. And there are different ways. All of them are right. All of them show an aspect of, of what this word means, paraclete. Advocate, comforter, counselor, encourager. And we, we get sometimes so focused on the fact that there are different words used, like comforter, encourager, counselor, advocate, that we miss out that Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will send you another advocate. And that word in, in Greek in the New Testament, that word means literally another in the sense of one who is the same as the one that's just been. So it's not another as in a different, but it's another as in identical. So when Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will send you another advocate, he's saying, I'm asking the Father to send a spirit who is the same as me, who is identical to me. That's why the spirit of Jesus is used as a term interchangeably for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament because the Spirit of Jesus is the same as the Holy Spirit which is the same as God the Father three persons all identically the same and the Spirit of Jesus is the Holy Spirit working in us and the Spirit enables us thirdly to know that we're not orphans we know that we are God's children and this is picked up by Paul in Romans 8, because we were able, enabled to say, Abba, Father, to call God Father, because the Spirit works in us. Verse 23, we know we're God's children. The Spirit enables the followers of Jesus to know the Father, because the Spirit lives inside us. And because the Spirit lives inside us, the Spirit works to reproduce the character of Jesus, what's called the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, in every single one of us. It's sometimes sobering. If, if you're a dad, it's sometimes quite shocking to see something of you reproduced in your children. If you're a parent, if you're a mum, you, you will also have the same um, experience. You, you find your child doing something, saying something, and you think oh crumbs oh no that's me but each of our kids it's very clear that they're my children why because of the eyebrows <laughs> just gives it away I mean bless them they've prayed for them to go but they're still there sometimes um, Nathan our, our middle child um, will do something and I'll turn to Kathy and I'll say, ha, that's me times a hundred. You know, when he's being stubborn or, or, or rebellious or whatever, and I'll say to Kathy, that's just like me times a hundred. And Kathy will turn to me and say, no, no, that's exactly like you. That is exactly like you. And it's quite a sobering thing to see a part of who you are reproduced 
in, in your, your child. Obviously, when any of our children um, produce something that's good and kind and generous, that resembles Kathy. And anything that's bad, that's me. Um, that's just the way it goes. But it's quite a sobering thing. What, what God is saying here, what Jesus is saying here, is there should be a family likeness. As the work of the Spirit of Jesus is worked out in your life and my life, then the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Jesus, the character of the Father and the Son is reproduced in the rest of the family. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are reproduced in us as the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God works in us and through us and fills us more and more. So the Spirit of Jesus helps us to know the Father and enables us to know that we're God's children, but also it does that as the Holy Spirit releases and enables and reproduces the character of Jesus in every single one of us. That's why we need to be, as we were looking at Ephesians 5 a few weeks ago, this tense of go on be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Go on be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Go on being being filled. This is present aorist tense that we don't have in the English and it means that I have to prattle on like this, repeating the same phrase over and over again, because in English we can't grasp what it actually means, because the Apostle Paul is saying, go on be being filled with the Holy Spirit, go on be being filled with the Holy Spirit, go on be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we leak, and there's no other way that we can live the lives that God wants us to live unless we're asking God every single day, please fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Will you give the Spirit of Jesus afresh into my life so that the fruit of the Spirit will be reproduced in me, but also that I will be able to live the life that you want me to live? And that's the fourth point, verses 21 to 26. The Spirit enables Jesus' followers to obey Jesus. Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So we believe that God has spoken in the Bible, but we still believe that God speaks today through the charismatic gift of, of prophecy. What God says today will never be as authoritative in the same way that the Bible is, and neither will it contradict what the Bible says. But the Holy Spirit still speaks today. But when the Spirit speaks, we need to listen. But also, one of the things that Jesus says the Holy Spirit will do will remind us of the teaching that's already given in the Bible. Now, basic teaching point. To be reminded of something, you've got to know it in the first place. So it doesn't mean that you say, oh, well, the Spirit will speak to me, so I don't need the Bible. No, you need to know the Bible so that the Holy Spirit can remind you what's in the Bible. And neither is a sense also of the Holy, sort of something new just popping into your mind. There was, when I was a student um, sometime in the last millennium, um, I was at Hull, and there was a, a, a story that emerged from a, a group of Christians who were at university in Durham. And uh, there's a group of theology students who, who got into a particular um, way of thinking and praying, and they were very, 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 very spiritual. 
They were so spiritual that they believed that God had said to them from this verse and the verse elsewhere where it says that the Spirit will enable you um, to be reminded of the things that you will need when you stand before people, that they thought that God would give them all the answers in their degree finals. So they did no revision. And they said, we're just going to pray. When we go into the exam room, we're not going to do any revision. I'm just going to pray, and God will give us the answers. Surprise, surprise, they did not do very well uh, in their results. That's not what God is saying. It's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you read the Bible, I'll remind you of what you know. I'll remind you of my commands. I'll remind you. The Spirit is there to prompt and remind, instruct, to guide, and to empower. And then finally, verse 27, Jesus says that when the Spirit comes, he imparts the gift of peace. Peace I leave with you, he says. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And again, as we look around at our society, as we look around at our world, It is a world where there is deep unease and dis-ease, disunity and division. And it strikes me that people are desperate for, hungry for, perhaps more than ever, for peace. And Jesus promises that one of the things that will happen as the Holy Spirit comes into someone's life is that they will feel peace. The Hebrew word shalom, that fourfold sense of peace, peace with God, peace with yourself, peace with other people, and peace with creation. Isn't that what our world, our society, our culture, we're surrounded by people who are desperate for peace. Now, if we're honest, as we think about the work of the Holy Spirit, people fall into different camps in their reactions to the work of the Holy Spirit. Some people are fearful, when you start talking about the Holy Spirit, of being let down by God. The guy who was was my best man, Jonathan, has prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for one particular gift of the Holy Spirit. And God, for some reason, has not given him that one particular gift of the Holy Spirit. He's been given other gifts of the Holy Spirit, but that one particular thing that he's prayed for and prayed for and prayed for is never received. He can't work it out. I can't work it out. God is bigger than our understanding. And that's some people's reactions when you start to talk about the Holy Spirit. You think, what happens if I ask God to fill me with his Spirit and he doesn't? That's one camp that some people fall into. There's another camp that says, well, hang on, I'm I'm a bit concerned. What happens if I pray for God to show up in a new way in my life? And he does. I'm not sure I want that. What happens if God puts his finger on something in my life, in my character, that needs changing? What happens if God convicts me or challenges me to change? Well, I'm not sure about I want that. Um, some people are, are put off sometimes by the work of uh, well, talking about the Holy Spirit because of some things that they associate. If you're from a more reformed background, talk about the Holy Spirit involves huge books of theology that go on about justification and sanctification and all of the words ending in Asian, and, and they're just enormous books. Some other people who have encountered things to do with the charismatic movement can be put off by what I call the fluff of the charismatic movement. Um, 
One of the things that we did as our kids have been growing up is try and expose them to different places where they can experience different parts of the church. So because I've been asked to speak in different places, our kids have been to Keswick, and they've been to Spring Harvest, just. Um, they they um, went on Stuart's Trust house parties, they've been to Abernethy, uh, they've done all different things. But about six or seven years ago, it's just after John White uh, had arrived as our youth director, um, I decided to go for the day to Clan Gathering. Now, Clan was a sort of Scottish new wine um, at, on steroids. And um, it was very, 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 very enthusiastic and very, 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 very wacky. And it, I realized as we were driving towards St. Andrews, uh, John and I, uh, we decided to take Josh, um, our eldest, who at the time was 15, 16 years of age, and I realized as we were driving there that he'd never actually been in this sort of environment before. Um, because this is way more charismatic than P's and G's. It was way more charismatic than St. Mungo's Belerno. It was way more charismatic than anything that he was about to experience. Um, and as soon as we arrived there, the, the worship started. There were about three or 4,000 people. There were lots of amazing things going on. Um, and there were people at the front dancing, and there were people waving flags. And they were waving their flags right in front of the big screen that had the words of the songs that you were trying to sing. And you couldn't see the words of the song because of the flags that they were waving in front of the screen, even though there were loads of other places where they could wave the flags. And I knew that Josh was my son. Because he turned to me and went, blummin' flags. And I thought, that's my boy. We're okay. And we went through the rest of the day. We went to seminars. We went to all sorts of different stuff. And it, we had a great day. And I remember driving back with Josh. And we started to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. And we got just as the outskirts of, of uh, Edinburgh. And I always remember Josh turning me with a very absolutely straight, dead face, as only an earnest 15-year-old can say. And looking, I was driving the car, and he just turned and looked at me and said, well, I believe in Jesus, and I believe that he lived, and I believe that he died, and I believe that he rose again, and I'm fine with that, but I don't, all, I don't want all this Holy Spirit stuff. And I was sort of driving the car, and I said, well, it doesn't work like that, really, Josh, because if you do believe in all that stuff, well, it tends to come as a sort of package deal. Um, and you're enabled to believe all that stuff because the Holy Spirit is a work in you. And now, six or seven years later, he's way more charismatic than I am and sort of complains at me not being charismatic enough. But you can be put off by the sort of outward stuff that goes with the Holy Spirit. But actually, you can't live the life that God wants you to live. You can't actually be a Christian, according to the New Testament, unless the Holy Spirit is at work in you. You can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit living inside you. You can't live the life that God wants you to live unless God lives in you. The final story that perhaps brings out another aspect of the Holy Spirit is a story told about a particular tribe in Africa, and they're called the Kare tribe. And this tribe, a few years ago, encountered the Christian faith. Western missionaries arrived in where they, this particular village, uh, the tribe lived in their village and started to explain the Christian faith. And the years went by, and um, Wycliffe Bible translators arrived, and they began to translate the Bible into this particular native language, the Kare language. And, but there was one word that they couldn't really translate. 
And the word was the word that is translated in different ways in the English. The word that in this passage is translated counselor or advocate or comforter or encourager. And there was no one word that they could find in the carry language that would sort of do it justice. And the Bible translators left. And a few years later, they went back to this particular part of Africa to see how this tribe was getting on. And they were amazed to find that this tribe had found a word, a phrase of their own. And the story goes like this, that when the tribe used to travel, they would designate a certain number of people to act as porters to carry luggage. And the the Bible translators noticed that there was always somebody at the back who didn't carry anything. And they thought that was really odd. And they thought, well, who's that person at the back? Is he the chief? Or is he just a lazy porter? And then the carry told them this story. They said, when we go traveling, when we go on a journey, when we go carrying the luggage, we always take an extra porter. And the extra porter doesn't carry anything, but he has one job. And his job is to wait for the moment when one of the porters begins to get tired, when one of the porters begins to get weary, when one of the porters' strength starts to fail them and they can't carry their load anymore. And when that porter starts to get near the end of themselves, This one porter, who isn't carrying anything, steps forward. And he takes the weight off the other porter and puts it on his head. And we give a title to this porter. And it's this title that we have used to translate the word that you translate as comforter or encourager or counselor or advocate. And the Bible translator said, what does that phrase mean? In English and they were amazed to hear them say it means this the one who falls down beside us the one who falls down beside us and that to some degree is what the word paraclete in the Greek means it means one who comes alongside and puts an arm around but it's even more powerful to think of God himself When you feel tired, when you feel exhausted, when you feel at the end of yourself, when you feel that you cannot live the life that God wants you to live, falls down beside you and takes the weight off you. When you feel exhausted, he carries the weight for you. He enables you to start to walk again because he carries it for you. Because he is the God who falls down beside you but doesn't just fall down beside you elsewhere in the new testament it speaks about if you're a christian the same spirit that raised jesus from the dead is the holy spirit when jesus was in that tomb there was nothing that he could do his body was dead and the spirit of god had to come in from outside of the tomb and raise the body of jesus again to new life. That's why the word is dunamis, dynamite, power, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is available for you and for me to be at work in your life and mine.
And that's the work and person of the Holy Spirit.